Yeah. Yeah. Draft day. Johnny Manziel. Five years later, how am I the man still? Draft day. A. Wiggins. That other side, we stay All with. Right. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Rambling on Ga- Gambling Podcast. This is your host, Big Three, alongside Greg Propovich. We are here. Um, about a day, two nights before the NBA draft, we'll be previewing the NBA draft today. And then also talking about some of these MLB trade deadline moves as we get closer and closer to the deadline. Um, Greg, how are you feeling about the deadline? Any of these moves you feeling like there's more to happen in the, the next day or two here? It's been a bit of a dud deadline so far. Uh, I was really upset with Adam Frazier going to San Diego. I think that kid's a stud. And uh, for, for whatever reason, I just don't like the San Diego team. Obviously, they, Tatis is unassailable. Uh, it's great for baseball. And, you know, the whole Slam Diego thing is fun, I guess. I'm doing the Miami Hurricane turnover chain for home runs and all that. But for whatever reason, I just I, I can't get with this team. I hate Blake Snell. Uh, I hate the coach, the manager, and I, I I hate the snake general manager who was doing crooked trades for several years. But uh, to be fair, he's sharp. That was a great get. I mean, Frazier was literally leading the league in hits. He's batting 324, uh, got on base twice already tonight, and I think it's in the sixth inning. I mean, the guy's just on base twice a game, so – I think that was an absolute steal and a move nobody's really talking about. I, I don't know that the average baseball fan knows who he is, but uh, it, it basically just means that Tatis is going to have somebody on base for him and 50% of the side bats. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that's obviously a fantastic move. And to have what started in that MLB All-Star game from the off the Pirates is a pretty impressive feat on its own. But, yeah, I mean, you talked about help to fielding there but also adding a guy who's who can field and is a competent batter, you know, instead of like having Kim or someone in that same spot, like that's a big, big move there. Um, and competent, I, competent is underselling. Him. He's, oh yeah. I mean, really you're right. Out, makes yeah. contact all the time. I mean, he's the exact kind of guy I love at the top of a, at the top of a lineup and a lineup that has the potential to be as potent as San Diego's is. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's tough for the rest of the national league there. Plus I would with the bullpen getting healthy. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, big move there for sure. And I think like, I mean, we talk about just like a good, good move by them to go after Frazier in the first place. You talk about snow a little bit. I think, I mean, when that happened in the off season, I thought it was a terrible move, right? Like it was the ultimate buy high on a guy that like, Really, I mean, like that World Series game, people were just so, so high on him after that. Like, you're just never going to get what you pay for him there. Like, when that's that was literally the uh, best game he's ever pitched in his exactly. career. I, I know he won the Cy Young. Um, he had a great year that year. But, I mean, the guy is just a mental midget every way you put it. He takes, like, 45 seconds to throw a pitch. He's barely literate. I, I really <laughs> – think very lowly of the man not to mention he threw Kevin Cash under the bus first chance he got after that World Series despite the the reason for the Rays being in the World Series being a thousand times more Kevin Cash than it was Blake Snell and yeah. this guy I mean, throws was- one 
one good outing and has the nerve to throw the manager under the bus. That was absolutely pathetic, right? And gets the entire Twitter sphere behind us back there too about how, you know, cash should be fired. Like that's like a terrible move, despite the fact, like you said, yeah. I mean, the organization, non-players, just like actual front front office all the way to manager is just so far and away better than any other organization in MLB. And it's not even really close. We're seeing moves, what now? But not only that, like Scherzer. specifically the value that Kevin Cash and like their organizational philosophy brings compared to the value of Blake Snell is literally yeah. Kevin Cash and the organizational value is literally a hundred times more than what Blake Snell is. And I mean, that's been being proven this year where they're at the top of a really difficult division with uh, four really competitive teams despite having the lowest payroll in baseball, they're right there every year. So made some good moves already too, right? Send oh, yeah. Yeah. We got, we got Nelson Cruz to talk about as well, but I want to stay on the Padres here for a second because there was a rumor that they're looking to trade Hosmer to Texas for Gallo. Now I, I saw a lot of like, why would the Padres ever do that type of takes on Twitter, which was quite frankly, absolutely baffling to me. I think Gallo is 100% the better asset at this point in his career. Yeah, he's feast or famine a little bit, but um, when he's hot, he's almost impossible to get out. Plus, he actually hits for power. I feel like Hosmer has the billing of a power hitter, but like he hasn't hit for power really in years. He's got eight home runs this year. Uh, he had nine last year, you know, in a limited, limited amount of games, but – you know, he, he hasn't hit 25 home runs since 2017. So, and he's yeah. only done twice in his career. So, I mean, we talked about this right when the move happened, right? Like, I think people, I, I don't really understand like the hot and cold on Gallo here, right? Or on Hosmer. Like, in end of June, Padres fans were like calling for this man's head, right? He was probably batting something like 200, was just absolutely terrible. I think he has been hot. In July, to your point, still not hitting for power. Might have like two home runs this month, but he is batting like 340. Let's give credit there. But I mean, still, if you're the Padres, you way rather have Gallo than Hosmer, I think, especially given like some of these other moves that have already been made. And then you look at like salary wise too, right? Like Hosmer has, I think I looked at this earlier today. I think he's like on until like 2026, maybe paying him like way more than Gallo's getting paid. And so I think like it's, Obviously, they already have a lot of money being spent on Tatis, some of these other guys. Like, I think, yeah. like, getting him off the payroll and, like, moving down to Gallo, like, I, I don't know. I don't really get how that's a bad move from the Padres side. And I think – I don't think that that's going to be able – they're going to be able to pull that off straight up, right? Like, I think you have to throw in something else with Hosmer maybe. But I, I don't – if you can pull that off if you're the Padres, I think you absolutely yeah. have to, right? Uh, I mean, there's no way it's going to be a one-for-one one deal. But <laughs> the Texas would never do that, especially as a rebuilding team. What possible incentive would they have for doing that? But uh, I also just want to mention, like, I, I'm fairly certain Gallo is at the top of the league in outfield assists. Uh, he's got a great arm. He's kind of sneaky fast, too. He can run the bases, go first to third. I feel like Hosmer is just an absolute dud in that lineup, and Low-key has been for quite some time. Um, it's still kind of – I feel like the 2015 World Series has carried him a, a lot further than his actual value. And, 
Yeah, like you said, I mean, I, I think uh, San Diego would very much need to incentivize that with either prospects or money for Texas to come to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back to the Rays here, you think, so we saw the reports today, right? Scherzer, basically both Scherzer and the Nats organization said, like, we would never trade him in division, right? Like to the Mets. I think, I wow. mean, it seems like he's probably going to be dealt here, right? And it feels like the Rays is the destination, does it not? It does. Uh, I think it would be a great follow-up to the Nelson Cruz um, pickup. I mean, when, when you look at the Rays roster, they don't really have any starting pitchers right now with Glass now hurt. I mean, I guess – I guess Yarborough, but um, I mean, it, it's yeah. Really- I mean, it's like it's like Fleming, like um, who's this other guy, um, McClanahan or whatever. Like they got like it's like yeah. a young guys who like haven't really pitched much, right? Yeah, those got those guys are not like that. I don't think they've been stretched to go like seven, eight innings. They, even even though they're like starting games, they're not like you know your typical starters. So I mean. Maybe yeah, I mean, and their their bullpen, their bullpen is deep enough, right, to where like it's okay if these guys go four or five, but like adding a starter who's going to go seven and give a bunch of your arms in the bullpen some rest too is like obviously massive for them. We saw it last year. They're so it, the the playoffs are such a bullpen marathon that you need all the arms you can get, all the arms you can get, and. Last year, the Rays bullpen finally broke down against the Dodgers, and they just weren't the same in those in those last few games. You could you could tell the mileage on them uh, all postseason long, and you know they just didn't quite have the giddy up there at, in the home stretch. So I think like having at least one guy who can go really deep in a game and uh, really eat innings, give these guys a little bit of a breath is going to be major for them plus adding Cruz the power right-handed bat they so desperately needed to uh, put in between Lau and Meadows was absolutely massive yep big trade deadline for Rays seems like they just consistently make the right moves um you talk about the playoffs being a, a bullpen um bullpen friendly um or the playoffs being bullpen friendly I guess like mattering a lot how about the move here? Graveman goes from Seattle in division to the Astros. What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, as, as a pseudo ALAs fan, I was devastated to see it. I've been driving the Kendall Graveman bandwagon since he was in Oakland day, uh, came up, you know, had electric stuff, couldn't quite harness it, got hurt, missed a year. A's just gave up on him way too quick. It, they feel like they barely even tried to put him in the bullpen or anything. And then, of course, gets to Seattle. He's literally the best reliever in baseball this year. But uh, I guess Jerry DePoto said that – he even said that, like, this move doesn't make sense right now, but it will after the, uh, the entire course of the trade deadline for the Mariners, kind of teasing that they had more moves up their sleeves. So – I guess I'll reserve judgment until I see what those moves are, but not a great start for old Depoto, who, uh, let's remember, failed to uh, have the Angels make the playoffs in all those years he was out there. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it really doesn't seem to make sense, right? And now, I mean, the Mariners, if you talk about teams who've had like mass, like tremendous luck, right? Like the Mariners have won a ridiculous amount of one-run games. I think they've won 54 games this year and like 22 of them have been by one run, right? And it, it's large part due to their bullpen. Their bullpen in general might rank like seventh or eighth in ERA, but having Graveman who literally... Oh. ERA second best in baseball behind Kimbrell. I feel like when you try to call him the best reliever in baseball and you, you can't just forget about my guy Kimbrell, but I think like, I mean, for the Astros whose bullpen really struggled partially because they had to stretch some of these guys like Javier into a starter role, right? Like the only guy that they really had out of this bullpen was Presley, who's been very good, but now you add Graveman, and as you start to bring some of these other guys back and they get healthy, then now you have this Javier Graveman Presley, those three out of the bullpen is really, really good. And it takes a team that we've mentioned earlier as like, as relying heavily on bats, pretty good starting. And like to get them to this point in their bullpen, like it's, it's hard to imagine that they're not the favorite going into, you know, the world yeah. <laughs> at this point. Totally. They also got uh, Rafael Montero, who's just another uh, gas can out of the Mariners' bullpen in this deal. So, I mean, you know, they uh, they didn't need Abraham Toro. Um, you assume Bregman's going to be back at some point, so that's going to be an upgrade there, plus uh, bolstering their bullpen. And I wouldn't be surprised if they aren't done either. I mean, Kimball's still out there for the taking, so we'll see where he lands, but if they have a Graveman, Kimbrel eight and nine, that's going to be really tough to beat with their offense. Yeah, I mean, and you look at like inner division. Obviously, A's still very much in the hunt in that division, but A's go out and get Chafin, who admittedly has been really good this year. Even as a Cubs fan going into this year, I will say like was pretty nervous about him. But now He's you not have the look of a man who's really good. But uh, <laughs> for the A's, you pick up Chafin. And then as you pick up Chafin, right, the next day the Astros go make a move for Gradman. And like you say, pick up Montero as well. It's just got to be pretty defeating. But, I mean, we could talk all day about the trade deadline here. I think probably want to move on um, to the NBA draft unless you have any big moves that you think you could see here in the in the final day or two of the trade deadline that you want to look out for. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of just all eyes on Schurz and, and – uh... Trevor's story here. I mean, the big one, I, I think the uh, crown jewel of the deadline is Trey Turner, although he just got COVID today. So I don't know uh, what the protocol is with trading for a man with COVID, but I, I think that guy's an absolute stud. And um, saw an interesting uh, tweet today that I guess would lend itself to the Nationals trading Turner and that they – that, that might not preclude them from being contenders moving forward here in the next couple of years if they because there's a huge uh, free agent shortstop class this year with Correa, uh, Corey Seager, and who am I missing? There's one more. Mayans um, oh. free agent, right? Oh, yeah. So, I, so like, would you rather have Trey Turner and a crop of prospects, or I, I'm sorry, one of those guys in a crop of prospects, or Trey Turner? And for me, I thought about it, and unless it's Corey Seager, who even he can barely stay on the field, I'd probably rather take Trey Turner. Um, guy's just a stud. He's lightning fast. He hits for power. 
average good fielder. Uh, he's like Adam Frazier on, on uh, not actually on steroids, but figuratively on steroids. So that, that's the name I'm going to be looking out for. But let's get to the hoops here. Uh, I know you've been teaming, foaming at the mouth there to talk NBA draft. What, how many units do you have out there right now? I'm trying not to think about it too much, but I think, well, I've just counted like the two win units and well, mostly it's like 30. You don't have to answer. You don't have to answer. uh, I'm at risk. Is it safe to say you're fairly exposed? Very, very exposed, but (laughs) fortunately not overexposed on like any one scenario. I don't think like if someone goes in a particular spot, it's going to like cause this huge downward spiral, which is, it's always so it's not it's not indecent exposure is what you're trying to say. Absolutely. Beautiful. So it's funny you say that because I've kind of been, you know, I, I usually love the NBA draft, but for whatever reason this year, I've been kind of non-committal on it. You could say much like the Detroit Pistons, because did you see these uh, tweets tonight about what they're thinking about doing with the first pick? I, I just refuse to believe it. I don't, I don't, I can't well, go ahead and read yeah, them. Just, yeah. Just for the listeners. So Chad Ford uh, tweeted a quote from Mark Stein, I guess that said, quote, one league source insists that one of the factors keeping the Pistons from committing fully to the selection of Cunningham is Jalen Green's recent stellar workout that apparently made the strongest of impressions. And then uh, per John Hollinger's mock draft quote, you still hear mutterings that the Pistons like Jalen Green's upside, that Cade Cunningham's workout didn't blow them away, and that the Fulmons on a trade remain open. So, uh, you know, who knows? There, this is right, – we're in the dead heat of misinformation city right now. Uh, but the Don would be thrilled himself with all the fake news circulating in the NBA media waves. But – and, of course, all this could be moot. They – by the time you guys listen, like literally tomorrow morning, the Pistons can come out and declare that they're taking Cunningham number one overall, no reservations. But I, I did find it interesting. And uh, you would think that like, if they were so gung ho about it, they probably would just come out and say it. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason not to right? I, the only thing is like, the way I see it is if they're not going to take Cade, then they should not pick first like this. They can get so much out of that first pick, like out of Cade, if they just traded away. Right. Like there are so many teams you already heard. Like, I think the Thunder tried to trade like six and 16, right. To get up to one or something like they can. They, uh, can, they, they try to trade six and shy, six and shy and maybe even yeah. 16 in that. Right. I don't remember. But and I know like the Magic have a lot of interest in moving up there too. They have five and eight. Like they should not draft there. And I think even Houston, who I think is very, very interested in either Jalen Green or Cade, I think Houston would be interested in bumping up and swapping that one and two, right? Like if if they don't want Cade, then they just they need to get out of that one spot. I refuse to believe that they're not going to take Cade, but it would make no sense to me. So, I mean, Hollander said the phone line's still open, so we'll see. But yeah. uh, I, I would, I would be very, very surprised as well. I, you know, the biggest thing that, like, I, you know, a lot of media people will talk about this too. But like, if you take the controversial pick and it misses, you're done as a GM. And a lot of these guys are in the business of, protect, of protecting their own interests. 
their employment and what have you. So I think to, to take Jalen Green over K, over K Cunningham, you'd have to be absolutely sure he would, he's the guy. And to be honest, I personally, I actually might like Jalen Green a little better than Cade, but um, I, I understand like the safety of taking Cade first here. Yeah, I mean, I think, and especially for a team like Detroit, right? Like, it's not, it's not like Cade's not going to fit into a sy- their system. Um, I think, I mean, you, I agree. You just have to go with the safe bet here. They're not in any position to take the guy. I think when you look at upside, right? Like offensive potential, Green probably has a higher ceiling. Maybe it's probably pretty close, but like in terms of floor, Cade's uh, Cade's floor is way higher, and he's also like a much much more developed defender too. And I think like the offensive upside being maybe a little higher on Jalen is definitely not going to pay for like that lower floor and like the lower defensive ability, even though I think Jalen will be a capable defender eventually, but I mean, I don't see it. All right. Who do you think is the player in the lottery who is going to win the championship first? I mean, it's, it's weird because like obviously the team that they end up at is going to. So it's got to be seven or 14, right? (laughs) No, it's not seven or 14. I mean, I think like, so you you talk about like fit, right? So guys, the warriors are big into this. Like they need, that's who's picking seven and 14 in case people don't know off the top of their head, but they're they're big on too like they want a guy who's ready now right which makes sense like given contracts like who they got on their team and so the big reports early on and this is like you talked about earlier with media like this is what makes it so hard is like they were all in on like Davion Mitchell in book night right Davion Mitchell biggest hit on him I think is he's 22 maybe close to 23 book night's 20 I believe Um, and so like the biggest concern with him is age. Right. But if you talk about NBA ready in like two way players, like someone who like the warriors could throw out there now, probably, I don't think they need him as a starter, but like to play significant minutes, like Davion Mitchell seems like the fit. Like if I'm the warriors now it's going to get weird with who's going to be available, but I don't understand like people on the, in the warriors, like the warriors fan base are not happy with like the prospect of Davion Mitchell going there at seven, but I just don't understand like tremendous shooter, good score plays fantastic defense, like really, really like high energy. Like, I don't understand why Not only that you kind of alluded to this, but I want to hammer the point home. His body is NBA ready, right? Like he is built sturdy, can take a beating. Uh, He, you know, he goes hard to the rim and, doesn't always finish, but like when he gets fouled and and takes a hard hit, he bounces right back up. And I feel like as the league kind of shifts toward drafting or 18 and 19 year old kids, so you theoretically have these guys when they're younger, like they don't really account for the actual physical development that needs to transpire for these guys to have a real impact in an NBA game. Oh, 100%. I think like, honestly, maybe you take like Kate out of the equation. I honestly think like he's the most NBA ready of any guy in the draft, maybe other than Cade. Like maybe, I maybe Scotty Barnes too. He's like body wise, right? Yeah, body wise, sure. But I mean, still like offensive development. Like I don't really think a lot's going to need to change in Davion Mitchell's game. And you also look like for a team like the Warriors trying to win now, 
this is a guy who obviously knows how to win, right? Like he was at a program that just won a national championship and was at the forefront, you know, like playing like in the spotlight every single game and like had like a ton of pressure on him. And he played fantastic. Like I don't, I don't really get where the disconnect is with them. And honestly, this is like one of the first picks that I took was Davion Mitchell under eight and a half, which now is like 10 and a half. Like this is not a pick I'm advising now, but I just really thought that, this was going to be the move for the Warriors here. Um, but then like, like the whole, whole league just soured on him strictly because of his age. I'm with you. I think he's, he's going to be really good. And yeah, uh, I, I, I think he's going to be the best like right away. I agree. I really, I really agree. Another guy here. And so we, this conversation started at who's going to win a title first. I think like one of the Warriors guys, is a pretty good bet. Um, I think also like, Suggs at the Raptors, maybe not win a title, but like, I mean, he has a a good shot if Suggs goes to the Raptors at four to be like a major piece on a team that's going to be in the NBA playoffs like next year. Like maybe not even going to the finals, but like competing to go to the conference finals. Like I think that's another good answer to that yeah. question. Um, but going it's, back, it's it's gonna be well, I just want to chime in on Suggs here. I think what the Raptors do is going to be really interesting. It, it seems like Lowry's gone because he's a free agent. Uh, he's been flirting with the Pelicans a bunch here. So we'll see if that happens. But um, I, I really am enthralled with the prospect of a Freddie Van Fleet, Jalen Suggs backcourt. That could truly be a dynamic duo. But um, I was, I was curious because, I'm not sure I quite see as much of a discrepancy from one through three to four as the rest of the league. It seems like kind of the general consensus is that Green, Cade, and Mobley are far and away, you know, the best three, and then there's Suggs kind of as a consensus four. But I don't know, man. I From what I saw from Jalen Suggs um, and from what I saw from Evan Mobley, you know, I get – I get the physical stuff with Mobley. The way he moves is is really enticing to a lot of guys, and he can shoot. But I just think Suggs is like Russell Westbrook 2.0. Doesn't have the same vicious, um, you know, finishing and like wanting to just take your dog off a bridge mentality. But he he's almost like more thoughtful in a way where he's still like hundred miles per hour all the time, but he seems to like really think the game and make the right play often. And the shots got improved, no doubt, but I think um, the likelihood of his shot improving is probably pretty high compared to Westbrook's when he came into the league. Yeah. I mean, I think like, I love Suggs. He's super electric. You talk about like, especially on the team that he was on last year to go on that team and Gonzaga is not a team that typically gets a lot of recruits. Right. And so to be like this, like their huge recruit on on a team that was already super talented, right. Like got even like good transfers and Nebhard. Um, but like to go onto that team and be like the leader, like the point guard. Right. And he just filled the role perfectly. Like there were games where he needed to score a lot and he did score a lot, you know, like there were also games where, in the first half, like he had no problem just taking like one, two shots, like as they came to him and just like being the distributor, you know, like really good defender, like super competitive. You can just see it in his eyes. You know, like you said, like, I think he does have like a lot of that Westbrook in him, except obviously can shoot as well. Um, 
I don't know. I th- I think that he's going to be really, really good, but I just, I really am convinced it goes Cade Green 1-2. I don't know. I don't care if there's a trade. I don't care what happens there. Like, I just think that that's, like, pretty set in stone. And I think in terms of, like, upside talent, like, I think you have to go Mobley at three. The, the rim protection and just, like, defense that he gives is just, I mean, <laughs> potential defensively is really, really high. And offensively, like, what he should – like what he showed at, at USC, like the ability to actually shoot, like he scored really well and it wasn't just like back to the basket. I'm bigger than you, yeah. like go over you type stuff, so, like, you know, like off, cool. off the dribble, like just like getting shots off over guys. Like, I don't know. I think it's weird for the Cavs because I don't honestly think like it's the best fit. Um, and I kind of feel bad for him, like having to go to the Cavs anyways. So I don't know, like, how interested they are in moving out of that position. Like, I don't think it's like, oh, why do you say, wait, wait, why do you say it's not a good fit? Like playing alongside Sexton or Jared Allen? Yeah. I mean, like with Allen, like it just doesn't make it, I don't know. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Like I, Cavs just aren't really a team that it feels like need, like, I don't know, a a guy like Mobley. I just think that. Here's my thing with Mobley and, and full disclosure to everyone listening. I I used to love college basketball. I've really soured to it over the past five years or so. Don't watch a ton of it, but, uh, you know, I, I do try and study up on these guys before the draft. I did – I remember watching a USC game because we were chatting and you were all excited about Evan Mobley. So you're telling me it's going to be a big pro uh, pick, watch him. And I was uh, kind of appalled by his passing in that game. It may have been just a one-off game, but I remember vividly watching this and like every time he got doubled, he, even when he was able to complete a pass out of the double team, it was like never in the shooter's pocket and the shooter had to catch it like by the ground and then like recock to shoot. And it, it, it just like the, the passing alongside Colin Sexton, who famously never passes and Jared Allen, who kind of needs other people to create his offense for him, uh, is a bit of a red flag for me fit-wise. Yeah, and- just like I just don't really think that him and Jared Allen, like, I don't know. I just don't really see those two working well together. I think like Okay, but but generally, if he was to get drafted to a different team, do you think the passing is gonna be an issue for him? The thing with the passing is that he is a very willing passer, which is good. Like you see, like a guy like Jalil Okafer, right? I don't know who said this. I heard this comparison earlier. Like he was just not will a willing passer in college at all. Obviously, it's been terrible yeah. in the or NBA. The pros. Yeah, yeah. But and he's just like not been good in the NBA. But like it was once he got the ball, he was back to the basket and it was it was done. I mean, he a lot of Mobley's stuff this year was like catching the ball like in the mid, like 10 to 15 feet out, yeah. you know. That does help. Like you said, like he was able to pass out of it just because a lot of times he's facing the hoop, not back back to the basket, you know, and like hitting cutters and stuff. And I will agree that there were times where it was like blatantly like open guy cutting, right. And he like throws it to his back hip and it's like the guy like can't get it or like the defender catches up to him in time. But to me, like even just the willingness to pass, like obviously being the most offensively like talented guy on the floor and like still being willing to do that gives me some hope right like there's development yeah. stuff there like court vision you know like you would so, work on that but, i would know. just say like the threshold for bigs skill skill is so much higher than it was like 
when we were growing up, right? Like I remember when Vladi Divox and Chris Weber were on the O2 Kings and yeah, granted they were some of the best passing bigs of all time, but like it was, it was always like a shocking revelation when they would make even a rudimentary pass or like a bounce pass that was like 10 feet. Yeah. Whereas, whereas like now it, it's hard to think of many bigs in basketball who can at least pass a little bit. Like even Steven Adams is capable of a, of a cheeky interior pass assist. Uh, I guess like maybe Valanchunas or like the guys who are just straight bully ball, but you know, Jokic, um, guys, guys like that are kind of setting the bar and pretty, pretty much every, uh, Giannis is a great passer too. I mean, like every successful big that has real offense run through them almost needs to be able to pass in today's fan yeah. age basketball. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think like going along those lines and kind of back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of like guys that are most NBA ready. This is a really controversial one. Um, And I've gotten just like talking with guys on Twitter, like some argument about it, but someone, and as a Duke fan, maybe I am a little biased here, but I really think that Jalen Johnson is very close to being NBA ready. I think that, I mean, he's a guy who's over under maybe set at like 12 and a half right now. Um, Maybe even 14 and a half. I don't know. Depends on the book, but um. I just think like he's going to be a steal late lottery or even like up to like the 15, 16, 17 range there. I think like, and you talk about like passing big, right? Like he's not a big in the traditional sense. He'll probably play a four. I've seen a lot of interesting comparisons for him. Like Aaron Gordon, Rudy Gay, I think is what the ringer has. I think he's more of like, I don't know, like a Tobias Harris type where it's like, he just has to develop what? I could see that. That's a good call. I think like he just has to develop the shot a little bit more. He did shoot like 44% from three this year, which is like so fake. I think he shot like 18 total threes, but like as a Duke fan, I watched him every single game and people are saying like his shot is a little stiff, but like it's straight enough to where like, it's not going to need a ton of work. Like I think that the kids, he's obviously super young, like was, um, like a highly touted recruit. Like, I think that the shot is going to get there and it might take a few years. You look at even like a guy like Tobias Harris, like he was not a very good shooter when he came into the league right away. And Johnson super, super good in transition, which I think translates really well. Like he's just like, he'd take the ball up, you know, like he'd get rebounds and just like turn and go. And he's probably going to play like a four. And so I think like that ability to, where like, he's not a liability. He's not going to have to like look for an outlet off the rebound. He's a really good cutter, really good off pick and roll. Um, and I think I saw some reports like saying that he wasn't a very good passer from what I saw of him, which was pretty much every minute he played in college this year. I think he's a really capable passer. And I think that like, he's someone who out of a pick and roll, you know, like makes an initial cut, like gets the ball and like, you know, help comes over, whatever, like he's super good at like finding the next guy after that, kicking it out to the three, finding someone on the opposite block. Like, I really think in terms of NBA ready guys, like in this late lottery, I really think that he's probably who I would outside of like, you know, your Cade, um, like that Davion Mitchell, like we talk about, I really think that he's up there in that top tier. And I, I will see what the numbers are, but I think that he's probably worth a stab at like 
first team all NBA rookie or like even like rookie of the year next year if the number's right. I think that he has that type of upside. Yeah, he strikes me as like kind of a very poor man's Jason Tatum, right? Just stylistically the way he plays, he you see, you know, from what I saw him, which was admittedly a limited sample size, he seems to be able to get his own shot pretty much at will. I don't know if that was like virtue of Duke's team not being very good this year and them just running a lot of iso ball. Yeah. But uh, he was capable of at least getting a somewhat decent shot off and demonstrated an ability to shoot it off the dribble, which is pretty advanced for, what is he, 18, 19, 19? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I – yeah, I agree, and I and I like the guys who are real high pedigree, high school guys that kind of get overlooked um, because they have a less than stellar first year of college. But he was like a massive recruit, right? Top ten in the country. Oh yeah, I mean, and, and the biggest knock on him, which I do think is kind of credible, but at the end of the day, like that's not why I'm not going to draft him. Is he went to IMG Academy? played like 13 games and then quit. I don't remember exactly the reason there. And then obviously at Duke, same type of scenario this year with COVID, like just like opted out, I guess it wasn't quitting. Um, and so like people are questioning like his loyalty. It's like, this is the end of the lovely game. Yeah. Like this is like, he's in the NBA now. Like there's no next step, you know, like it's not like saving your body for the NBA draft. Like you can make that reasoning behind the IMG move and the Duke move. And that's not why I'm not drafting a guy. Cause I'm worried about his loyalty at this level. Like that, to me, that is just a terrible reason to be like low on the guy. And I think like, if you don't like his game, like you don't think it's going to translate, that's one thing, but to say like, Oh, he's a quitter. Like he's not loyal. Like that's like, come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, uh, if, if he's, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Golden State went with him at 14, if they, if they hang on to the pick, um, yeah. like, like you said, he's, he's a pretty like win now guy by comparison in, in this year's draft. It seems like a lot of these guys are kind of projects, right? But yeah. I uh, think we can get back to that later, but you talked about like you're these guys that were really good in high school. And then like, obviously not as good um, in college, their first year and just like go from, you know, early mock drafts being projected top 10 and now like lower in the draft. Uh, you got another guy that you have in mind for this year. I, that- do. Uh, I didn't know we we're getting out of lottery so quick, uh, but we'll go back. Don't worry. I yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll drop it now. Um, the, a play I really like actually is Brandon Boston under 37 and a half. Now, uh, he went to Sierra Canyon high school, which is the same high school as LeBron James's kid. I'm sure Drake probably tried to date his mother at some point, but um, the kid came in with incredible pedigree. He's, I think, top 10 high school player. Uh, Kentucky last year, it, it didn't really work out. I think it was their second leading scorer. Uh, team was not good, but there's kind of a blueprint for these Kentucky guys who kind of underachieved under Calipari going out of the league and being significantly better than they displayed in college. I think guys like Bam, uh, Booker, we're all like pretty like unextraordinary college players, right? Uh, Hamadou Diallo was, was nothing crazy special in college. Neither was Tyler Hero. Yeah, I mean, they all go in, right? Thompson is another great one. All these Kentucky guys, 
Um, I think also, you know, the, the Knicks have kind of become Kentucky pro and they're sitting right there at 32. Uh, I know they've been linked to Jason Preston, the Ohio guard there a lot, but I wouldn't be surprised if they went upside with Brandon Boston there and uh, continued the fraternity. What are your thoughts on them? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like that too. I think, it's hard to judge these Kentucky guys, right? It's similar to Florida state in where like you see these guys from Florida state, right. All the time last year, Pat Williams, great example. Didn't even start, right. Like played like 17 yeah. minutes a game. It's just part of the system. Right. And like you said, you mentioned all these Kentucky guys, like they've had the history of the platoon, like the five and five subs, you know, like they just don't really, you don't get the offensive attention that they had in high school. Right. And so you go from, I mean, before the season started, I'm guessing Boston was like a top 10 projected pick. Right. And then you go to Kentucky, you're not the main focus this year. They were an absolute mess. They had so much going on, you know, like they were in the news constantly. Um, Like it just, it was a mess. It's hard to judge it off that year. And then all of a sudden now, he's is over under 37 he's predicted this like early second round i think that like you said he's a maybe high risk but like definitely higher upside high reward guy and i would not like to see early second the other thing just like looking at the draft is the thunder pick uh at 34 and 36 and he strikes me as like a a perfect just roll of the dice for a team like the Thunder that's like looking for any sort of franchise cornerstone to have a ton of picks to play with. It's like, why not take, take a flyer on a super high risk guy or a super high, uh, high ceiling guy rather in the early second round. That's like, you know, if you miss on the pick, it's not going to cripple your franchise. that has like 27 first round picks in the next five years. Yeah. And I think like, he's the type of guy who like, a lot of the big concerns with him have just like been he's like kind of selfish, like kind of just like takes whatever shots he wants, you know, like he's the type of guy where it's like, all right, I haven't shot in three possessions. Like it's my turn, you know? And so I see him thriving more at like a non-competitor early on, you know, like a team where it's just like, even if he's playing off the bench, like when he goes in there, just do whatever you want type of deal, you know? And so I think like the scoring potentials there, like he has the ability to, to put them up in bunches. So, so I, I can see that as well. That actually reminds me, I just want to make a general point about the draft that like, I think we as an NBA community after seeing the likes of LeBron, Luca, um, Trey guys, guys that are Zion more recently, guys like this that are coming in and just instantly right away having immediate superstar impact. I just want to remind everybody, like, that's not the norm, right? It usually takes rookies maybe, like, half the season to a full season to adjust to the pro game. It's it's a huge transition, and, like, you see a lot of guys make the leap, especially, you know, you see them make the leap, I should say, like, a year or two into their career, especially now that uh, guys are coming into the league at age 19. I mean, Brandon Boston is – pretty thin he's only six five but like i could also see him growing into like six seven six eight just bit obviously i you know I, I don't have his uh medicals in front of me here but you know there's just the potential and capacity for these guys to grow physically as well as developmentally right and 
I think that gets lost on a lot of people because the bar has been set so high by the standard bearer of rookies, but we shouldn't be so quick to give up on a lot of these guys that come in and might uh, make several cameos on Shaq and a fool early on in their careers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess, yeah, we, we moved away from the lottery there. Yeah. yeah. So I know you've been uh, just itching like Tyrone Biggums to talk about book night here. So I'm just going to give you the floor. What, what's on your mind with uh, the Connecticut UConn Husky? Okay, yeah. I mean, I could talk about book night for an hour, honestly. So this was someone, I mean, if people were actually like following, like saw my picks early on, I bet against book night. I think I took Keon Johnson over book night. It was like plus 125. So it was like a value play, like right at the start, like a week ago. And this was where a lot of the talks of book night were at seven, either him or Davion Mitchell. And in my mind, I was like, okay, Davion Mitchell is the better fit there. Like, I think he's going to slide down. Well, a lot changes, right? And a lot of this like NBA draft stuff is just like monitoring news, like those types of things, um, following some of these bigger guys. But <laughs> the way I see it is Book Knight is going in the top seven. I don't think he goes top four. I think it's five, six, or seven. Um, so I posted, I've posted now Book Knight under seven and a half minus 185, which is still out there at Bovada. I don't know where it is elsewhere. It's juicy, but I really think like implied, I think implied odds, it's closer to like minus 250. And it sucks because this was like under 11, like last week when I first bet against him, um, but completely flipped the script. But that's not even the play I like most on him. I think the most value, and it's kind of gone now, um, the most value on book night is to be drafted exactly fifth. So I got this, what? Yesterday, last night, about 24 hours ago. Well, I guess by the time this comes out, it will be Monday night is when I got it, like two days before the draft. I got it at 45 to one. I think I put half a unit on it. So half a unit to win like 22 and a half. And there's really good reasoning. It wasn't just a flyer. So here's how I see it. I see Cade Green Mobley. Don't really see any way else around it. At four, it gets a little interesting. I think the wraps ultimately take Suggs. I think they'd be dumb not to, but there's been talks of Barnes going there. I actually took a play on Barnes going there at plus 500. It's moved down to like plus 300 maybe, but I think that's a possibility, but I think ultimately Suggs goes there. So then five, which is Orlando Magic's pick, comes down to Barnes, Kaminga, and um, Book Knight, sorry. Barnes, Kaminga, Book Knight at five. That's who I see like on the board when the Magic go to draft. A, I think there's a possibility Magic move out of this spot. B, the Magic have come out and said so many times that their preference here is someone who has super, super high upside, right? Like you look at this Magic team, there's so many guys that like can't shoot, like not really like great offensive guys and just like probably not, like ever even have like the potential of being like NBA all-stars. Like they need a guy who is going to have the ability to a create his own shot, B score a lot of points, like pretty much right away. And to me, Barnes is a hundred percent, not that guy. Barnes is a really good defender and he's NBA ready in terms of like defense, like ball handling, like com being competitive, but he is not your offensive guy. Like he's like your classic Florida state guy. Like, he is not the classic magic guy is what he is. Right? Yeah, but like, that's the like, thing. Look, look at the rest of the look at the rest of their roster. I mean, 
And Jonathan Isaac, who is, was basically the same as Scotty Barnes coming out of Florida State, although he's developed into a really good player who just can't stay healthy. But Gary Harris can't really shoot. Markel Fultz can't really shoot. Cole Anthony, eh. Mo Bamba, RJ Hampton, who I actually really like. He showed uh, some great flashes. Michael Carter Williams. I mean, yeah. It's like who, the, and even before their current iteration of their roster, like the past years, Aaron Gordon, just a lot of like physically imposing athletes who can't really shoot or score the basketball. Exactly. Like this fit makes, to add someone else who can't shoot makes zero sense. Like the fit, honestly, I just don't get it at all. And so that's why I think, I mean, I do think that Kaminga is a possibility here, except he's so underdeveloped. Like I, in terms of process, either. what you can't shoot either. Oh yeah. No, I mean, not at all, but in terms of process, he's more of an offensive guy though, than Barnes is at least, but in terms of like guys that are going to be taken in the top 10, who like, I, I mean, I am absolute lowest on Kaminga. Like, honestly, like if you were to ask me like where I would take him, it'd be like 15 to 18 range. Like I really don't like him. He will be taken in the top 10, but I don't like him. I don't think he makes any sense. I really don't think Barnes makes sense. And I know that they're high on book night. They brought him back for a second workout two, three days ago. And I think ultimately the plan was they wanted him at eight. Right. And now the Thunder have came out and said, like, he's their guy, basically. I don't know if they've really said it, but sources have said, like, he's the Thunder's guy. I really don't think he gets past six in any way, unless Barnes or Suggs is there somehow. And I really, really don't think he gets past the Warriors at seven. If he's there at seven, Warriors are going to take him. And yes, I like, there's well, so let, many let, me just, that are- let me just jump in here, B. Like, if you're Orlando and you know Oklahoma City wants book night, wouldn't you just knowing the draft capital they have try and leverage the five like a five six swap so you can just add another pick for nothing? Oh, a hundred percent. That that's that's so. There's there's so much reasoning behind this. A, they can say to the Thunder like, "Hey, we're gonna trade this unless you move up with us, right?" Like, there's so many people because of the way that book nights moved up, right? Like he was 11, like 10, not like, I think there's a lot of interest in book night. I'm not a huge, huge fan, but I think there's a ton of interest in that area. There are going to be a lot of teams that want to move up, including the warriors who have seven and 14, including the thunder who have six, 16, 18, you know, like there are so many teams. I think even like there are other teams too, that I could see potentially moving up here. And so they can like threaten the thunder, right? It's like, they they can throw out that fifth spot. And I don't think there've been reports today. I, I will disclaimer it. The athletic, I think, or some, one of those guys have said like Barnes in our sources, tell us Barnes isn't going past five, like be as it may, whatever. Like, I really think that there's the threat of trade here. I think where they can say like, if anyone wants to hop the thunder, right. To get book night at five, like be our guest, you know, like they, they've said the magic have come out and said, that they want more draft picks, right? Like they've said that they're trying to add another first rounder. I think like moving down a spot to the thunder, right? Swipping five, six, and then like getting one of the thunders, like 16 or 18, like maybe makes sense. Like, I really think there's so many possibilities where teams will try to trade to five to get book night. I really think a, so that's a, is I think that 
there's a really good chance someone trades there to just jump the thunder or the thunder move up because they're scared or B I think the magic might want them themselves. Like if they draft there, I think book night makes the most sense. I really do in terms of like fit, like what they're looking for, not a terrific shooter, but just in terms of like scoring, like playmaking offensive upside, I think he's the best of those three options. And I think initially they thought he was going to be there at eight. And now there's no chance he's there at eight. Right. So I think that they can make the move and say, okay, let's go book night at five. And then at eight, you know, there's going to be either Moody, um, Kaminga or Barnes still there. Right. So it's like, okay, like we just take book night now. He's our guy. We want him. And then we'll still get one of those other guys later. So like, great point. And, uh, Phenomenal get by you at 45 to one. What what are you seeing now for uh, yeah, I mean, Bovada five? Bovada, I think it's still, I think it's maybe 10 to one, nine to one in that range. Some like DraftKings is like plus 750, FanDuel is plus 340. Like I said wow. on my, I commented on my post, like this will be six to one by Thursday, if not lower. Like I really think, I mean, it's, it's not like a sure thing, right? Like he's definitely going five. Like that's why you're getting reports the other way, but in terms of a value play, like that was ridiculous. Um, and so, okay. So that's my, that's my book night at five take. And then I still think in terms of plays you gave out Boston under 37 and a half, that's the play. I still really like that under seven and a half, even at minus minus one eighty-five. pay the juice. He's, I think he's really, I mean, it's really high odds that he goes top seven. Um, but then the other ad here, so I just talked about magic, trying to add a pick. This is the one that I think is a really, really high possibility. And I know you as a Knicks fan probably will have some opinion on it. So magic have five and eight. I think, I really think they take book night at five. Even if they take Barnes, I, they've said they want to get out or get an additional pick in that first round. And I think getting out of that eight spot and moving with the Knicks to 1921 makes a lot of sense. And I think probably the Knicks have to throw something else in there. And the Knicks have discussed wanting to move into the top eight to 12 in my eyes, say either Moody or um, Giddy. I wonder like, what's your take on that? Are you okay with the Knicks dishing those two picks, maybe another asset in moving up to eight and who would you prefer them to take out of those two? If either. I am. Um, I'm very into it. I think, you know, over the past few years, we've developed a nice pool of young talent, and I'm willing to consolidate um, two later first-round picks for one lottery pick at almost any day of the week. If we get up to eight, I, I have a suspicion that uh, Golden State is going to draft uh, Giddy at seven. I think league-wide interest is really – starting to percolate on him. I know Memphis was really keen on him as well, and they just moved up to 10. But um, I think all, like, the mental intangibles he brings in the passing really fits, like, Golden State's elitist vision of how they see themselves as this, like, elite uh, passing and constant uh, movement-style team, which was really originated by Pop and Spurs. But... I'll digress. Um, so if Giddy is available, I could see his passing and spacing sort of helping Randall be able to operate in uh, more tightly congested game situations and areas. But um, I I like Moody a lot, and I think he's a better fit for the Knicks, actually. I, I think uh, we, we just really need another 
for a spacer who can really shoot the ball. Moody has a sweet stroke. Um, RJ's three really improved over the lap, you know, over the uh, course of the second half of last year. I love RJ Barrett so much. Uh, I, I just, I, I can't say enough um, positive things about the kid. I just, I just love everything he brings, but uh, with him on the floor, it does provide a bit of a shooting hamstring right now. And I think Moody would kind of solve a lot of those issues. Uh, you also saw in the playoffs last year against Atlanta with like, there was just a lack of shot making on the floor. I think Moody would take some time to adjust to, you know, the, uh, to the NBA game. And I, I kind of wish he was a little bigger. He's only six, four and a half, I see. But, um, you know, it, if, if he can play like decent defense, which I think he can uh, under the school of the bus bus at Arkansas, Eric Musselman, and, uh, you know, translate his shooting ability to the pros, I think he'd be a good fit with the Knicks. Yeah, and I mean, I think shooting percentage, I, I, I want to say he was like 35, 36% last year. A, the way that Arkansas played, it, they're like, I mean. They're, yeah, they're like helter-skelter. Yeah, yeah, really fast, like all over the place. He plays really hard, really good defense, you know, and like a lot of the shots that he took were on tired legs, pretty deep, pretty contested. I think that, I mean, and still to shoot 35, 36% is like pretty competent, but he also, the other thing with him is I really think his shot is like maybe one of the best shots, like in the draft, like it's yeah, really straight. I agree. Well, like I think in terms of like shot translating well, like maybe the percentage isn't as high as like a Davion Mitchell, like Kispert, whatever. Like, I really think that his shot still translates super well. And I think that sure. in terms of like scoring defensive ability, just like being an absolute motor out there. I think he's a great get. And I think, like you said, I think he fits well on the Knicks and the Knicks, a team that yeah. already have a bunch of these, like they have like a good amount of depth, right? Like a good amount of these guys that they could probably get in this 19 to 21 range. Anyways, yeah. I think moving up to eight and getting this guy with this high potential, both offensively and defensively, I think is just, it's gotta be the move. And I think if yeah. Giddy's there, I'm okay with that take too, but Moody to me makes more sense than Giddy even. Yeah. I'd rather have Moody just cause I, I mean, I think uh, like that three and D kind of wing is a real area of need for the Knicks. Reggie Bullock uh, was amazing last year for us and hopefully he can, you know, continue that into this year. But um, after him and Barrett, like there's a significant drop down with, Alec Burks coming in off the bench and guys like that. And I, I loved uh, the improvement Obi made in the second half of last year, Obi Toppin, but he still can't really defend very well. So, you know, plus he's uh, a lot bigger and less laterally quick, but I think Moody would be a great fit. And, you know, in the last year's, really the past two years playoffs, more than anything, it's kind of been a, uh, dissertation on the importance of having a versatile roster. So, like the Lakers, when they won, played Dwight Howard like starter minutes in the series against Denver to defend and just hack shit out of Jokic, but he didn't play at all in <laughs> like the rest of the playoffs. And I think Moody would kind of add an element of roster versatility to the mix that is a great 
tool when build when trying to build the championship team. Yeah. And as I mean, as what feels like it's been the case for a long time now with the Knicks, like they have a ton of room, like cap space, right? Yeah. Uh, we have a decent free agent market again this year, obviously. Like you would hope they can go out and get another like big contributor there, right? And so it's like, why not go for someone who's gonna be more than just like another role player in this 1921 area and like go for like the higher upside with Moody and then also count on like picking up other people in free agency, obviously. Right. What do you think of these euros? Um, Garuba and the Turkish kid. Um, what's his name? Yeah. Who's going to be the best European player in this draft? I'll ask you like that. Ooh, I think, I mean, Sangoon has good upside. So this is, there are a lot of guys that just like don't make a ton of sense to me as prospects in this draft that like people are really high on. And Sangoon's definitely one of them. I think like to me, he just like doesn't really make sense as to where he's going to contribute. Like he doesn't really shoot. Like I think, I don't know what it was. He does not really shoot a lot of threes and what he did shoot was not good. If you watch his shot, it just is like not very pretty. Like, we talked about Jalen Johnson. Like, I think that his is going to improve Sangoon, like in order to be what he wants to be, which is like, well, I'm guessing like this, like six ten, I think is what he is like this bigger guy who's going to play like more of the offensive role, like stretch people out, like shoot the ball, like score. He, it just doesn't make sense to me because he can't really shoot. And he's also not like the scoring that he's done um, in the past has been like, kind of just like shoot over guys like out skill people down low and yeah. move to the nba like i like the comparison like him to like if he and Embiid are matching up right you get now maybe they try to put him in the four because he's not like super big but defensively he can't play on the wing because he can't shoot and so you kind of have to put him down low. It's like Embiid's going to be defending him. He's not going to be able to do at all. If you watch like his highlight reels and stuff, like what he does or what he was able to do in order to score like over in EuroLeague, like he will not be able to do against an Embiid, like these like better NBA players. Yeah. And so that doesn't really make much sense to me. Like he, he does have really good touch. Like he's a good score around the rim, but his inability to stretch people out and like have to do it like down low, like back to the basket. And then his inability, not a good defender at all, especially like flipping yeah. the other way. Like if he has to guard Embiid, like he is just, I mean, Embiid's going to put up 40 and 20, you know, like it's just, yeah. and obviously I'm saying this about an 18 year old kid, 19 year old kid. Like there's a ton of room to grow. Like, I'm not saying that he's not going to be good, but I'm not sure that I see what other people see with him. Like, I just don't think the shooting's there for him to be able to translate offensively the way that people think he's going to be able to. And he doesn't have like the defensive ability to back it up. By the way, I guess we forgot uh, Franz Wag Wagner as a Euro in this draft. He is German, right? He's German, but yeah. Brother? <laughs> he's, I kind of like him actually. Um, yeah, obviously his brother has not been super effective, but getting better in the NBA. Um, apparently Wagner grew two inches over the summer. I forget where I saw that report. Wow. I mentioned this with like Boston, right? Like these kids might not be done growing, but I yeah. guess grew two inches over the summer. He's 19. Yeah, he's 19 years old. It makes sense. The thing with him, he rebounds super well, especially for a guy like he's not like super 
big, right? And on that team, like that Michigan team, like playing in big games, obviously had Dickinson, like other big guys around him. Like he still was a really good rebounder. And he just, I mean, he like has a knack for scoring, you know, like plays good defense too, like shoots the ball well. I mean, he was like 38% from three. I was going to say high 30%. Like he's a really good scorer, adds a lot rebounding. And then also um, I think like a very capable defender as well. I think he's not going to go past nine. I don't think unless there's a bunch of trades that mess things up. I think they can take him at nine. If he's there, maybe they take Moody if Moody's still there over him, but I don't really see him getting past that nine area. I think just like too high of upside. Um, I also talk about sleeper picks for the, the Warriors there really don't have a clue what the Warriors are going to do. Got about eight guys that could go there, but I would not be totally shocked if the Warriors go bigger guy here and go with Wagner with obviously like has like the upside, both offensively and defensively and can score and maybe have an impact pretty early on as well. But I think Kings probably ultimately is the landing spot here. makes the most sense. And I like him as a prospect too. I got no, no problem with him going that high. Yeah, I was impressed with him the few games I saw him as well. He, you know, I, I feel a lot of these white European lengthy, skinny guys have a reputation for being pure spot-up shooters, but he really attacked the rim hard with agility and uh, real athleticism when I saw him play. Plus, you know, he does have the, the – prototypical Euro three-point shot in the bag, but... Um, yeah, and just, like, fantastic touch, too, right? Like, that's something that... Yeah, I, like, yeah. I'm, I, would, I would say he's in the moody category of, like, just guys who you can tell, like, their shot is is just pure to the point where, like, even if they miss, they're going to get a lot of rolls because they have soft touch and yep. uh, have the right spin on the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the thing that you get there, too, is and we talked about it, even with Mobley, which I think he fits this bill too, is sometimes in college, especially in some of these conferences, like these bigger guys, these guys that end up playing a four in the NBA are able to just like use their size and kind of expose some of these guys just by like shooting over them, getting to the basket off offensive rebounds, whatever it may be. And so to get, it's kind of like, it's a really good sign in my opinion to see these guys scoring, like not back to the basket, like not like just like getting over people, because obviously that's something that is just taken away at the next level. And so I think once again, like the game translates well, I don't think anything that he did in college is really like not going to be available at the next level, which is obviously a good sign. Yeah. So I know you've also wanted to talk about Chris Duarte. He's been undermined a lot lately. Uh, You expect big things from him or are you fading? Yeah, this was a number. I think I even missed it. I think it opened 21 and a half. And I ended up getting it at under 20 and a half. I think now it's like 15 and a half or something. So like, I, I still beat it by a lot. I just think I don't, he's, he's on the older side too, which I think is the same thing. Like Davion Mitchell, like you're just getting, it gets valued like overvalued too much. Like, yeah, I get, you want to have like a 19 year old, but it's not like these guys weren't developing their games in college, right? Like you're getting a 22 year old. They're probably going to be more developed, like more NBA ready than these other guys. And you're still like, I mean, these guys play like early. To be fair, I, I think Duarte is like 24. So he's like, he's older know, than Mitchell. Really, yeah. Mitchell even, but yeah. Really pushing uh, the, the envelope for being old, but still I but point he, to the game. So the thing with Duarte is 
fantastic shooter and just like a gamer. Like he hit so many big shots last year, kind of like the Peyton Pritchard role on this, on this Oregon team where it's just like getting the ball at the end of the game. Um, but just hit so many big shots and really, really good shooter. And I think like in terms of scores, there's just, there might not, there's not many better scores. Like in terms of just like get your own bucket, like being able to hit shots, like play, make, like create your own shots. Um, I think, I don't know. I think the Warriors really want him at 14. It's going to get interesting at 14 because I think what's going to happen is there's a chance if they don't take Mitchell at seven, I think Mitchell might still be there at 14, in which case I think they'd take him over Duarte. I think Trey Murphy is another possibility at 14 um, out of Virginia, but I think Duarte is very likely at that 14 spot. And if he doesn't go there, I just think the offensive upside is too high for him not to go, you know, 16, 18 to the Thunder or 17, which is the Pelicans pick, I think now. I think even maybe worst case scenario, maybe goes to the Knicks at 19. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I still think he's going top 20. I wouldn't touch the 15 and a half, 16 and a half number now, but this is a guy older, obviously a little more NBA ready than some of these younger guys, but big offensive upside. I don't know. Just like a competitor. I, I really liked like watching him at Oregon, a lot of fun stuff. Um, a lot of big shots at end of games. So yeah, definitely high on him as well. Yeah. He's, he's what I like to call a high T player. Uh, just oozing testosterone out there on the court. Every time I've seen him, he's, you know, running his mouth, talking shit, just knows that he's uh, about to give his opponent the buckets. So um, yeah, absolutely. What, what do you think of uh, Jared Butler? Where do you have him ending up? Yeah, I got him under 26 and a half earlier. I think, I don't know where the number is now. Oh, it might, I think on Bovada, it's actually still 26 and a half. This is another, I wrote down plays that I had that are like still playable at current numbers. Why, why don't you run through those for, for the viewers or yeah. for the listeners, I should say. Yeah, we'll also go through. Just, just give your like number one conviction call that you are the most bullish on of anything in this draft. Yeah. Book, I mean, book night under seven and a half is still available. Bovada minus 185. I mean, going out on a limb there, bro. I know. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. These numbers, like, like once they start to solidify, but the implied probability there is closer. I mean, that line should be like minus 300. I just, I don't see him going past seven. Um, Butler under 26 and a half is minus 150 some places, some places even less. And I wouldn't worry a ton if you can't get the 26 and a half, if it's like 25 and a half, 24 and a half, I think that's fine. I don't, I think that he probably doesn't get past 22 to the Lakers. Maybe the Rockets take him at either 23, 24, but I think that that's a really good place. Still, I think bones Highland or nation is 27 and a half still everywhere. That's a good overplay. There's maybe one or two landing spots under 27 and a half that he has any possibility of going to, but likely I think he ends up in the 28 to 32 range. And then another one that I really, really like is Cam Thomas under 22 and a half, 23 and a half depends on where you're looking. Um, I, I can maybe talk about him a little bit. I'll talk about all three of these guys guests really quick. Um, Jared Butler is, was on that same Baylor team, obviously alongside Mitchell, another great shooter, like 40 plus percent from three really good score. He doesn't, I mean, he's also a really good defender. Like both of these two 
are really good two-way players. And the other thing with Butler is that he doesn't have the same thing with Mitchell where he's like really old, like been in college for four years. I think he's maybe like 19, 20. Um, and so he's like a younger version of, of Mitchell, not as developed, um, but pretty decent size, like a couple inches taller than Mitchell and is still offering you really good scoring upside and good defense as well. Um, I just don't think, I don't think he gets past like this Lakers Rockets bunch of three picks between 22 and 24. And he, he definitely could go higher as well. I think I could see even the Knicks taking him if they stay in that 1921 spot. Um, and then moving on to Cam Thomas, who, I mean, that number is still 22 and a half everywhere. And I think like, I try not to base too much of this stuff off mocks just because like, that's what's shaping a lot of these lines, but I don't know if there's any mock that has him over 22. Like, I think that it's pretty consensus that teams are really, really high on him right now. And he's just like a really good scorer. Yeah. And there are- he, had a, he had an amazing tournament performance there. Oh um, yeah. In the, in the first, first or second round, but uh, he shot the lights out and was hitting really difficult shots. Yeah. And I mean, the thing with him is, is like, I've seen, I think it might be the ringer or something like there, they weren't very fond of his passing ability, like kind of like a black hole, but I, I feel like the guys who have these, these typical problems, like a RJ, right? Like art, that was one of the biggest knocks on RJ, obviously a higher recruit than a cam Thomas or a higher prospect, but like these guys just like kind of conform to the role that they have to have at college. Right. And I, if it gets to the NBA, like there's not, they're not going to be put in that same position, right. Where like where they're the only offensive option or the best offensive option in terms of like play making, making like create your own shot. And so like, I don't really like that knock. I don't think it makes a lot of sense and fantastic shooter. He was a really, really high volume guy. So the percentages were down, but I think like 90% free throw shooter, right. Or close to it. I just saw that. I think like high 80s percent free throw shooter. Yeah, and, 88. Yeah, 88. So really, really capable shooter, obviously. And just with the volume that he took and just the defensive attention that he drew, the percentages were not great. But I mean, he's he's one of the better scorers of any of these guys. Um, so same government name as Wiz Khalifa. So he's got that going for him. Wow, that is a big plus. Actually. <laughs> That's probably why he keeps moving up. But I think like I could see Thunder taking him at 16, 18. I could see Pelicans taking him at 17. And I just do not see how he gets past the Lakers. So I talked about that as a destination for Butler. But if it's between Cam Thomas and Butler at 22, they'll take Cam Thomas every time. I think even like the Knicks, like I said earlier, I just don't see how he gets past that 22 spot. And that's still like under 22 and a half is like plus 100 or like minus 110 a lot of places. Obviously, this is why you can't go crazy on any of these trades could change things, right? Like these teams that I really am convinced would take him might move out of these spots. But in terms of like confidence on plays, I might even be higher on that than the book night or Butler ones. So that's another guy I'm, I'm super high on just, I mean, in terms of a prospect, I think he'll be really good. But in terms of like where he's going to get drafted, I just think 22 and a half is way too low. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like those, real high upside guys uh, who exhibit flashes of offensive dominance are always going to get somebody to play. It, it kind of reminds me of uh, Tyrese Maxey in last year's draft, right? Who went 21st to Philly. It wasn't 
a ton of talk about him going that high, if I remember correctly, last year. But, uh, you know, they he had that, like, first game of his college career in Madison Square Garden against Michigan State, I think it was, or maybe Kansas. But it was, like, one of those um, tournaments of, you know, the the cornerstones of college basketball programs. And he, Maxie just went off in that game and it was like a national stage. So everyone saw it. And I feel like that really skewed his, uh, his, his draft stock, but it turned out to be a, a really solid player for Philly and definitely, yeah. uh, you know, a cornerstone for their future. So we'll see. And we, we'll talk, see about jam, high, but... we talk about the high upside guys too. Right. And I think, the other thing, the way that this draft is structured currently, obviously trades could tra- or trades could ruin this, but there's a lot of teams with two picks close together, right? Like even yeah. as high as the Warriors 714, you have Magic 58, Warriors 714, Thunder 1618, as well right. as on early on and six. And then you have the Knicks 1921. There's so many teams with two picks oh. close together that I think it allows you to go maybe one safer and then go riskier on the other one or like high, high upside. And so that's why I think like some of these guys, like even Jared Butler, but these guys with super high offensive upside are moving up draft boards because teams are like, okay, we have two picks in the same area. Like might as well take a risk on one of them, you know? Yeah. It's a good observation. And I think it's, it'll definitely uh, come to fruition here as we hit draft night on, on Thursday. Yeah, I think you had one more play that you wanted to talk about, right? It lays first round, maybe. Um, yeah, so I, re- I really like, uh, the, you know, this this kid, Josh Christopher uh, from Arizona State. Christo. Christo. He's uh, an L.A. boy, and he um, really showed some, some microwave Johnson tendencies there for his uh, – his freshman year at uh, Arizona State, he uh, really can shoot the ball well, um, can also defend really well. And I, I think he, he's got a real chance to be a solid contributor off the bench. It'll be interesting to see where he goes, but I could see like the Thunder taking a flyer on him as well, kind of for the same reasons they would on Brandon Boston. Uh, you know, he was a freshman last year, so he's 19. I think he's got a crazy wingspan too, even though he's six three. But I could see other guy I could see growing into an NBA body, and um, I I could see some like Jamal Crawford who can defend off the bench potential. Yeah, I mean, and you talked about earlier your your fondness of these guys who are high recruits in high school, right? And then like didn't. Yeah the same production in college. He, I mean, I forget all the injuries that he had because I think it was multiple. I think maybe a shoulder injury at one point, but I think he only played half, maybe less than half of their games last year. And I think like those types of guys where you see their college numbers aren't great because of other external factors, like that were super highly touted in high school, obviously for a reason. Right. And then they have one down year in college because of things that happened like injuries, you know, like that type of stuff. I think those are the guys that teams are more willing to take flyers on. And especially what do you see his, his number at? Do you have it? Uh, I actually didn't see a number on him. That was just more. Do you, yeah. do you have a number on him? Just opinion based. I don't, I think I saw it at one point. These, a lot of these places are like, 
pulling numbers overnight, like bookmaker, because yeah. they don't uh, want to FanDuel and FanDuel and DraftKings don't even have them listed. Um, yeah. But I mean, whether it's a player or not, I think just for any basketball fan, a guy to keep an eye on. I also just like the fact that with him in Boston, both coming into college basketball as such highly touted recruits and like having, um, I guess, I guess the basketball world's eye pass over these guys is probably going to light somewhat of a fire under their ass to get back into the spotlight and um, really maximize their potential. So I, I think he's going to be a good player and uh, curious to see what, what he looks like in an NBA uniform. Yeah. Uh, so, a number on him either, but I see like I got some of these mock drafts in front of me. He's like late, late first round or like early second round type guys. So maybe as we get closer to draft, even like maybe yeah. we'll see like some some early 30s on him. You like that if if it's maybe like a 34, 35, you think he probably goes before yeah. that. Yeah, I do. I think I'd play him under 35, but uh I also you never know with the second round, man. It it gets it gets dicey. You might have a lot of guys getting – a lot of teams drafting Euro guys and keep, keeping them overseas for a couple of years. You don't have to pay them right away. So, uh, But I, I do think he probably ends up right around there. I also think that uh, I, I could see this Joe Wisecamp, Iowa kid, um, getting kind of near the top of the second round just because the, the three ball – 46%. That's going to, that's going to raise a lot of eyebrows and, uh, in, in a good way, but it's shocking is he only shot 67% free throws last year, but, uh, kind of like Wagner, it's, he, he rebounded a lot, 6.6 a game. And obviously that was like a run and gun offense there in Iowa with Luca Garza and everything, but he's like a little more athletic, um, than, than his, <laughs> profile might suggest so uh, i i could see him being a contributor at the next level here yeah i would agree with that for sure i would say yeah one more guy as we just talk about like contributors less than like numbers and stuff i mean i don't know they're like you said i would say don't these late rounds get really really weird i would not put a ton of stake in guys going you know like under 52 or like under 48 in those late rounds if it's just like you feel strongly that a certain team's going to take them you know like there's always a lot of shifting there where it's like if they think a guy's going to be available five spots back like they'll just trade back and like pick up another asset you know like i think that there's a good sense of where guys are going to go and if they feel like they can move down or like you know shift around there um they will so I think early on we have an idea of where guys are going to go regardless of trade, you know, but as you get into the second late round, like I haven't really made any plays on those types of guys. Most of mine are all first round. Um, I just think yeah. it's a little riskier. So I'll just throw that out as a disclaimer. Like don't get super excited of a certain, totally. a certain guy because you think, you know, someone's going to take him at 38 because they very well might, might just bump down if they think he's still going to be available. Yeah, the other guy I could see being good um, is McKinley Wright, the kid from Colorado. As a, obviously, he'd be another you know late second round kind of guy. I don't know if, if you'll even find a number on him 
across any books, but um, he just has like real Andre Miller vibes to me, like old savvy uh, point guard vet who will like back you down and like make passes out of the post kind of guy. Um, just, I, I don't, I don't even know that that's necessarily his game, but they're, uh, but like he's, he just uh, is a real four general and definitely, definitely was that at Colorado. And I could see him stepping into like a back backup point guard role and uh, having an impact there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another guy with like, he just has, like, if you watch their games, just like the look of determination, you know, like he just, at the end of games, you just did not want the ball in anyone else's hands, you know, and he plays super, super hard, really good defender, despite his size, which is probably a concern at the next level. I think he's like five, nah, maybe six foot. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, I don't know, we'll see. He was so fun to watch in college and it's always interesting to see some of these guys, the games in college, right. Just like, don't really translate. I think, Um, I mean, you look at some of these guys like a Carson Edwards, right. Um, where it's like really dominant in college. Um, and then obviously not near as effective in the NBA. So it's hard to get on these guys. Again, don't, don't give up on them so quickly. That's true. Carson Edwards is young. I mean, you look at like the good example here on the other hand is like a Peyton Pritchard, right? Like I never would have thought his game would translate to the NBA, especially like so quickly. Um, and so, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of times, like a lot of these NBA players that are starters, effective now, like, you know, average 10, 15 minutes a game their first couple of years. So, yeah, like you said, they don't have to be productive right away to be like a good draft pick, especially in these as you get into the second round here, right? Totally, totally, man. Well, I think this is a great uh, rundown of the draft here. Anything else you want to get in before we sign off? No, I think, yeah, that's about all I had to talk about. Really, I mean, can't stress it enough. Like, don't overinvest yourself on one guy. Obviously, I have a lot of units spread out all over the place. We'll see what happens. But, I mean, it's it's just, like, I'm pretty excited for it. Like, I love NFL draft, NBA draft. Like, just good times. See if yeah. it pays off, right? And it's exciting, too, for your teams. Just see what teams are adding, what they're looking for in terms of like they need to go in the next year, you know, it's at Barclays center. So I would have gone if I wasn't working, but um, one of these years I'll get to it. I've been meaning to uh, the past few and uh, yeah, it's just, it's just always a uh, great night of hope and uh, opportunity and potential excitement for your team. Unless, uh, you're the Knicks who usually don't draft very well, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully last year was the start of turning over a new leaf with OB and, and IQ. Yeah. Excited to see next week when we come back who, who made the good moves, who didn't hopefully Knicks move up to eight there and we can, we can say the draft. And, and all your plays are uh, on your Twitter, right? You oh yeah. At, at a big three for three. So I'm sure you'll do a, full recap on there and um, next episode we'll uh, do a little mini recap and uh, we'll, we'll chat about who grinded your gears the most. Yeah. I think they're all going to be winners. So that's the, that's <laughs> the way to go into it. Right. That's the attitude. That's that McKinley right attitude right there. 
Absolutely. All right. Well, let's, let's call it a day, sign off here. And thank you guys for listening. Thanks to our sponsor, um, Shot Quality Bets. And we will talk to you guys next week. With the first pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New Orleans Pelicans select Zion Williamson from Duke University.